so happy that many of you are here this morning. Um, obviously, um, I am not. Um, Bailey and I um, started feeling a little under the weather. Um, so as a, as a safety precaution, um, we decided that it may be better um, to just go ahead and record um, this sermon that I'm going to be giving to you guys today. Um, and also, I'm giving you guys the sermon today. Um, Doug is out of town um, spending time with family, um, and he had approached me about a month ago um, and told me he was planning on going out of town um, and asked me if I wanted to fill in for him. Um, and when he asked me that, I told him no. But you know how Doug is. Doug is very persuasive. So here I am. Um, and I'm excited um, that I get to um, be up here um, and share my thoughts with you guys. Um, and I, I will tell you guys this. This is going to be the best sermon that you have heard in 2022 so far. So, hey... We'll see nowhere else to go but up, right? <laughs> so, I'm going to start today by telling you guys a little bit about myself. And I'm going to start by making a pretty big confession. Um, something that I've been carrying for years. Um, something that not very many people know. Um, and something that I, I am, have been ashamed of for so long. But I now finally feel comfortable enough to be able to share it with my church family. I don't know how to swim. I, I do not know how to swim. Um, well, let me rephrase that. It's not that I don't know how to swim, but it's that I don't know how to swim particularly well. Um, I um, can kick my arms around and fling my legs um, whatever direction and I still uh, seem to just sink slowly back to the bottom of the pool. Um, and I, when I was younger, I was a fairly tall kid. Um, I could stand in a pool and I could see just over the water. So I was never worried about, um, oh, I need to know how to swim. As long as I could stand above the water, I thought that I was set. Um, and so... I never learned. Um, it was just something that never happened. Um, my parents even tried to pay for swimming lessons later on in life. And I still didn't even put in the time or the effort to get to learn how to swim. But even though I don't know how to swim, it wasn't for a lack of trying. Um, when I was a kid, um, I was probably about five or six or seven years old. Um, we were living in Phoenix at the time. And we were living in a pretty decent house, um, but one particular aspect of this house that was amazing, um, definitely the coolest thing in this whole house, was that there was a ginormous pool in the backyard. Not only was there a ginormous pool, but attached to this pool was a water slide. I remember it very, very vividly. It was this teal water slide. It was about 10 feet high. Um, and whenever people came over to our house, naturally, people gravitated towards the pool. People would want to hang out around the pool, in the pool. And I saw people always going up and sliding down the slide. But that wasn't for me. I was terrified of the water. Um, I did not want to be near the water. Um, and so I, I stayed away for as long as I could. Until one fateful day, 
my dad asked me if I want to go out into the pool and try to learn how to swim. And so I told him, hey, I don't want to do it. I'm good. And of course, being the good dad that he was, he continued to try to push me out of my comfort zone um, and kept asking me and asking me. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do it. No matter what, I am not going to get in the water. So then my dad, being the smart man that he is, decides to make a little deal with little seven-year-old me. And he says, all right, I'll tell you what. If you climb to the top of that water slide and you slide down, I will take you to Toys R Us and buy you a brand new Lego set. If you take away anything from this sermon today, parents, if you promise your child a toy, I promise you that you can get them to do anything. Because as soon as my dad made that deal with me, I ran all the way around the pool and started climbing up the ladder of this water slide. So I'm climbing and taking steps up each rung until I finally make it to the top. That's about 10 feet off the ground. And I look down and I panic. I freeze immediately. Um, and I start to have a mini freak out on top of this water slide. Um, I'm, I'm yelling, um, I'm crying, I'm telling my dad I can't do it. I'm getting ready to start climbing back down. And I'm just like, I can't do it, I can't do it. So then my father looks up at me and he yells to me, Son, I promise you that when you slide down, I will catch you. So, he continues to reassure me, keeps telling me that he's going to be there at the bottom to catch me. So I finally close my eyes, I take a deep breath, and I scoop forward. And I start sliding down this water slide. And as I hit the bottom, my dad extends his arms to grab me. And sure enough, I was wet and I slid right through his arms and I come crashing into the water. Um, and I sink to the bottom of the pool. Um, and I open my eyes and I look around and I realize that I'm underwater and I start to panic. Um, I start flinging around, I start kicking. Uh, I'm like trying to run on the bottom of the pool floor. Um, I'm mortified. So he finally grabs me and he pulls me out and he sits me down and I'm coughing. And I'm like, and he's like, are you okay? And I, I have tears in my eyes and I'm like, why would you do something like that to me? And then he proceeds to inform me that I'd only been on underwater for about two or three seconds before he actually pulled me up. Um, and so I, I catch my breath and he's like, are you okay? Is everything, are you all right? And I finally, I finally say to him, yeah, yeah, dad. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. So when are we going to Toys R Us? <laughs> so that, uh, that just tells you a little bit of something about me, uh, is that I uh, will do anything as long as there's some sort of reward involved. Um, but, but this would become a, a common occurrence. Um, my dad would take me outside, I would get up to the top of the water slide, I'd slide down with the expectation that he was going to be there to catch me. And it was like every time that we'd go out there and I'd get to the top of that water slide, I'd look down and I'd see him there 
with his hands and arms out, ready to catch me. And the reason that I was able to continue to do it, despite the fact that I was scared of the water, was that I trusted my dad. I had faith that he was going to be there at the bottom to catch me every single time. And that can be really difficult sometimes for us. Um, it's difficult for us to trust other people and trust that other people are going to be there to catch us when we fall. We, as a people, like to be self-sufficient. There's a reason why we have self-checkout lines at Walmart. Um, people like to kind of do things on their own. They like to be um, self-sufficient. Um, we don't like asking for help. We like to do things our own, on our own, in our own particular way. And so, as it seems that we've kind of moved away from um, having to rely on other people to get the things that we want or do the things that we want, it can be extremely difficult for us to trust in other people and also put our trust in God. And so, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about trust and faith and putting our faith in the things that matter and in the people that matter. So when I think of trust, first and foremost, the biblical character that always comes to my mind is Abraham. And in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham that he will have a son and through him a great nation will be born. And sure enough, later on in Genesis 21, just six chapters later, it says, Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Now, when Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Isaac is born to Abraham and Isaac is the representation of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Because it is through Isaac that this promise of a great nation will come to fruition. And it is through Isaac that Abraham's line will be established. Which is crazy, right? Abraham was a hundred years old when he had his son. And his wife was 90 years old. That is, nowadays, seems completely impossible for us to wrap our minds around. And I think that's just proof and testament to how powerful God is. And how when God makes a promise, he comes through on his promise. But the very next chapter, after we've seen Abraham be trusting in God, we see Abraham's trust truly put to the test. In Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. God comes to Abraham after just in the chapter before this, finally pulling all the strings together and giving him a son. And God tells him to take his only son, 
the one that God has promised him, the representation of the future nation of Israel, and tells him to sacrifice him. Now, obviously, I'm not a parent. But if I had to make an educated guess, I'm pretty sure that being asked to sacrifice your child has to be one of the most difficult things that any parent could ever do. Now, Abraham here finds himself at a crossroads. Up to this point, he's, on a, been, a, he's been on a roller coaster of a journey. Um, he's had to leave his homeland for a land that God was going to show him, a place that he's never been before. He had to wait until he was 100 and his wife was 90 to be able to have a son. And I'm sure that just as life has started to slow down and return to some level of normalcy for Abraham, here he again is thrown a curveball, an obstacle that threatens to send him back to square one. Take your son, the promise that I made to you, and be willing to sacrifice it. Many of us in this situation would have immediately said no or immediately cast doubt or had questions. But what does Abraham do? Well, in verses 3 through 8, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Here, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. So, that was a lot. There's a lot to unpack right there. Reading this, there's a significant amount of emotional drama and emotional tension that is built up over these verses. And one thing that's interesting to me is every time that I read this, it stands out because there's no... We're given very bare bones level of this story. There's no discussion about going and talking to Sarah and informing her of what's going on. There's no insight into what Abraham might be thinking, um, what he might be wrestling with inside. Um, and then other than um, verses 7 and 8, there's no real exchange between the son and the father um, talking about um, where they're going and what they're doing. It just says that Abraham gets up loads up the donkey, and he sets off to sacrifice Isaac. We're given um, just kind of a, this, these are, this is the concrete, this is what's happening in front of us. It also says in verse 4, one thing of note, is that they traveled for not one, 
not two, but three whole days. Could you imagine wrestling with the knowledge of what he was going to do for three whole days? Could you imagine what feelings must have come up in Abraham? What questions must have been welling up inside of Abraham? And he had three whole days to think about it. He could have elected to turn back at any time. Or he could have stopped and told Isaac what was happening. He could have um, just told God immediately in the moment, no thanks, I'm good, and continue to go about doing whatever it was that they were doing. And yet, he continues on. And to the average reader, when you read this, and you see that Abraham is just looking ahead and marching forward and marching forward, this could make Abraham seem very cold and very heartless. But I think that reading this says a lot more about Abraham's trust in the Lord. Think about it. To this point, God has come through for him time and time again. I think that the reason Abraham is able to carry out this command and entertain this thought is because he has absolute certainty in the Lord. And he knows that no matter what happens, God is going to be there for him. So, they make it all the way up the mountain, and Isaac starts to become curious. He looks around and notices that they have everything for the sacrifice, except for the thing they're supposed to be sacrificing. So he, he asks his father, hey, we have fire and we have wood, but we kind of seem to be missing the most important part of the sacrifice here. Where's the lamb? And it's in that moment that Abraham gives a phenomenal response. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, in the NIV version, when it says provide there in that verse, it is originally translated meaning to see, as in, I will see to it that this is done on time. Like you're taking on a supervisory role to make sure that something is accomplished all the way through. I'm going to see this through. Abraham's answer shows us some insight into how he trusts the Lord. He recognizes that while this may not be what he wants to do in the moment, God will see through the situation. And he's convinced that no matter what happens, despite what's going to transpire, God is going to work all of it out and he's going to see it all through. So we see Abraham binding Isaac, laying him up on the altar, and right as he is about to deal the final blow, an angel intercedes. In verses 11 through 14, it says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Just as Abraham is about to sacrifice his only son, an angel appears and stays his hand. 
And he's in turn provided with a ram by the Lord to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And Abraham names the place the Lord will provide because God saw through his promise with Abraham. This story is so incredibly powerful because Abraham, despite knowing what he has to do, despite knowing the difficult road ahead, despite knowing the end point, but putting the possible path to get there in jeopardy, despite all of that, Abraham chooses to follow God all the way up to the mountain, tasked with this difficult job, and yet as scary and as intimidating as it was, he continuously obeyed. That is so inspirational. And this entire story serves to tell us that Abraham did not have faith in the promise that was made to him. Let me rephrase that when I say that. Abraham had faith that God was going to come through for him. And he had his faith in God. And he knew that his faith did not hinge on the promise that God made to him. If it did, Abraham would have told him no, and he probably would have backed out. But Abraham had his faith in God and not in the promise that was made to him. And I think a lot of times, we as believers can find ourselves falling into this trap. Sure, we show up every Sunday, we go to the occasional Devo, and we put our faith in God. But how many times do we do it only because of the promises that have been offered to us, if we do? We put our faith in God because we'll get eternal life. Or we put our faith in God in order to receive blessing. And that's just not the way that it was meant to be. When we start doing that, it no longer becomes a relationship with God. It instead becomes a transaction. I give you praise and admiration and love. And in return, you give me the blessings and you give me eternal life. There's no relationship there. There's no personal connection there. It's just an exchange of goods and services. And when we live our lives like that, we live our lives like the rich young ruler. You guys remember that story? In Matthew 19, a young man comes to Jesus and he asks him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? So, Jesus tells him, If you want to enter life, you must keep the commandments. But then the rich young ruler asks him, Which ones? So Jesus gives him a list, and this young man claims to have kept every single one. Almost like a checklist, rattling off, don't kill anybody, yep, that's good. Don't steal, yep, that's good. Don't make sure that you honor your father and mother, yep, that's good, piece of cake. And then he asked Jesus, what do I still lack? And I like to imagine that Jesus pauses and takes a moment. And then he looks at him and he tells him this, if you want to be perfect, Go, sell your possessions, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, 
come follow me. So Jesus says this to this rich young ruler, and he goes away sad because of his great wealth. He walks away. Both of these stories, both the Abraham story and the story of the rich young ruler, show us that sometimes following God and following Jesus means having to do difficult things. And nobody said it was going to be easy. But there's a brief glimpse of hope in there. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so the disciples look at each other and they ask themselves, who then can be saved? This guy, after all, had every single box checked. Therefore, and he should get the quote-unquote reward waiting for him. And yet, he still got turned away. So Jesus look, turns to them and he responds with, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's powerful, right? So, based off of that, it's officially 2022. It's a brand new year for all of us. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to um, be happy about all the great things that happened in 2021. It's a time to be sad about all the not so great things that happened in 2021. And it's a time to reflect. And it's a time to ask ourselves what changes we want to make in 2022. And I think that this is no, there's no better opportunity for us as we look to a new year to turn over a new page and look back on our lives and look back on this last year and ask yourselves, do I have the faith of the rich young ruler? Am I somebody that checks all the boxes, seems to have all the answers in the hopes of receiving some reward or promise but I'm not willing to part with the things that I deem are important? Or am I an Abraham? Am I somebody who, despite the odds, am willing to march up the mountain, as terrifying as it can be, because I trust God and I know that he's going to provide for me? Church, I want to close this with a prayer, and I want to close by praying that we can go into this new year with the faith of Abraham, not scared of what awaits us at the top of the mountain, but continuing to push forward, knowing first and foremost that God will always provide. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you um, for this wonderful time that we get to spend together as believers. Um, Father God, um, I want to pray um, that you work in the hearts and the minds um, of everybody in this room, God. Um, Father, I pray for this new year, um, these uncertain waters, this uncertain future that we are entering, um, that we do not know what is to come, but Lord, you do. And God, I pray that we we can respond to that and we can trust on you and lean on you.
Because, Lord, we know that you will provide. You provided for Abraham. You provided for Isaac. You provided for Jacob. You provided for so many, Lord. And, Lord, we know that you will continue to provide for us, too. Father God, I pray that you bless this new year and you continue to bless this congregation in the new year um, and in the many things um, that we have um, coming forward. Um, Father God, we love you. We're thankful for you and we're thankful for your son, the lessons that he taught us and the sacrifice that he made for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.